G'day and welcome to the Hunting Connection Podcast. My name is Zach Williams and I am your host. Here we'll connect you with hunters, fishers and outdoor enthusiasts from around the globe. This podcast will share hunting and fishing stories including past experiences and tackle the tough hunting stereotypes our community faces. We hope to be a positive influence to those outside the community while also having a laugh along the way. Hope you enjoy the podcast. G'day and welcome to another episode of Hunting Connection Podcast. Firstly, I'd just apologise if my voice goes a bit funny throughout. Um, There's been that type of weather where it's been hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, and my voice has gone all all funny. But tonight's guest, we've got Josh Wood, a.k.a. Coach Josh from Strong for Life Online Coaching. How are you going, mate? Hey, thanks for having me. No, it's it's been something that's been in the cards for a while. I reckon I asked you what, no, probably close to a year ago, um, if you're keen to to come on after we were chatting about all the um, potential South Australian bow hunting ban. Yeah, which you've been an amazing support for, even though you're not in in South Australia. So for people that don't know where who you are and where you're from, where are you from, mate? Uh, where am I from, or where am I living? Where you, oh, both cover cover both of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, uh, you could probably tell from my accent that I'm not native to Australia. Um, I live in Hobart. <laughs> <laughs> I, I live in Hobart now. Um, I've been in Australia since 2008. Uh, lived in in Queensland and in Victoria mostly. Uh, where am I from? I'm from the Midwest in the United States. I, I grew up. Spent my first 12 years in Nebraska and then another few years in Minnesota up in the north before moving abroad when I was 18. Lots of great hunting uh, in those areas. Yeah, but I wasn't wasn't raised in a hunting family. I was raised in a fishing family. Ah, Still just as good. You still learn learn some of the basics that all crosses over. Yeah, growing up, we just had a lot of freshwater fishing. That was a big part. My dad grew up on the West Coast and the Pacific Northwest. I mean, technically, I was born in, in Portland, Oregon, um, but never lived there. And that's where my dad's family is from. And he grew up fishing inland and and saltwater, fly fishing. Uh, that was his life growing up and brought that to the Midwest. We did a lot of freshwater stuff yeah, um, beautiful. pretty much my whole life. Oregon's a hunting and fishing mecca. I've got a few mates over there. And yep. it's just the game and the, the fishery over there is just amazing beautiful from what spot. I see. They're constantly on on different game and all the different types and species of fish they're chasing over there both saltwater and freshwater is just absolutely awesome i want to definitely want to get over to oregon one day whether it's hunting or fishing that whole area the pacific northwest is gorgeous i spent a couple years uh living on vancouver island in canada as well and you know it's the same same coastline same climate i went up through bc into alaska and that whole pacific northwest that whole coast is just heaven on earth yeah beautiful it's lush and full of things to eat and hunt and fish so what made you uh, jump down to australia and then you know queensland victoria down to tassie uh my wife's australian oh, uh, i went backpacking when i was 18 as young people do and i met an australian girl at a hostel and <laughs> followed her back to australia and we're within a couple of weeks of having our second kid. Oh, awesome. Congratulations. How old's the um, first one? Uh, Theo is three and about a quarter now. Oh, yeah, three in June. My youngest is three and July. a half. So it's, it's a fun, ah. interesting age, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. So 
What do you do for work, Josh? Too much. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> so I run an online fitness business. I've been a PT amongst other things pretty much most of my adult life. I've always been in health and fitness. So I spent a bunch of time in my, my early mid twenties working in massage manual therapies um, and studying fitness. And then I transitioned from exclusively working in manual therapies to, to working in gyms. And I spent a lot of time in, in the powerlifting and boxing worlds where I, where I was competing at the time. Um, but over the last well, 12 years I've been in the industry, I've slowly moved more and more online and now i work exclusively online with a, a couple assistant coaches and a nutritionist um and in there for a while i was working as a wilderness guide when when i moved to tasmania that was one of the first things i did when i came here that's awesome that's awesome what was it like being a wilderness guide down in tassie well i mean it's a great place to be uh the job itself is a very interesting thing it's a, it's a mix of pros and cons but just being outside on the trail all the time. And that's that's sort of something I wanted to gain more experience in on a professional level because I wanted to work more with backpackers. And that was that was my branding for quite a while was, you know, Coach Josh, backpacking coach. Um, and I still work with people in tactical fields and, and outdoors fields where they need a little bit more specialist work. Uh, and that's sort of the crossover into hunting. And, and what I do with myself and what I help other people do. No, nah, that's awesome. No, it's definitely something that I, I definitely need to work on, um, especially after um, hunting New Zealand this year. I, I got a real wake-up call, as I did the last time I hunted New Zealand. It's uh, especially being in the altitude that, you know, from yeah. South Australia, you're at sea level and then going over there and, you know, you're yeah. camping at... 400 meters above sea level or whatever it was it was just absolute crazy yeah yeah they got some <laughs> great terrain over there i just i the altitude kills me i, I did a, a few weeks up in the himalayas a few years back and just going from sea level like as a, i was working as a professional wilderness guy at the time i was very well in shape for backpacking and hiking but the altitude man it's just another ball game yeah, it's it's something that I don't have to deal with over here. So hunting hunting over there yeah. is just a definite wake up call, you know, watching these New Zealanders they're just like mountain goats moving through that terrain. Yeah. And I'm stopping for a breath every every two and a half minutes. <laughs> yeah. It was a good way to take in the views though, so <laughs> Oh yeah. No, you can't beat mountain trekking. Yeah, no, it's a it's such a beautiful place. So I guess Tasmania is a similar climate to where you're from, <laughs> or is it? No, um, Tasmania is great. It doesn't get too hot. It doesn't get too cold. <laughs> the weather never sticks around too long. Where I went back for Christmas for the first time in like five or six years. Went back to Minnesota to to visit the family and have them meet my son. And there was about two weeks where it didn't get above minus twenty. Like that was the high temperature for Jesus. about two weeks. Like it is insane. And I just get, I was getting stir crazy. Like you just can't leave the house without burning your lungs and freezing your nose hairs. And I'm just like, how did I grow up in this? How do people live here? Like it's beautiful and stuff, but I'm just like this kind of months, months where you're basically like, sprinting from door to car and car to the next place you're trying to get you're never spending any time outside like it's no way to live 
I guess that's Tasmania for the rest of Australia, though. <laughs> oh, I know. Australians are always going on about how bad Tasmania. I'm like, it barely gets to freezing. Like you get snow over the over the, the mountain, Mount Wellington, over the city. Like you get the beautiful views. You have access to winter stuff. Like we went and stayed in a cabin up in the mountains a couple months back. And it blizzarded and we went sledding and hiking in the snow. And then you drive an hour and you're back at sea level and it's 12 degrees. Like it's... <laughs> It's as good as it gets. No, that sounds too cold to live. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll stick to so South mild. Australia where, you know, it's over Christmas, well, before Christmas, like early December, late November, we'll have weeks of 40 to 45 degrees. No, absolutely not. No way. That's one of the reasons I left Melbourne. I'm like, this is bullshit. It should never get this hot. <laughs> so... How did you make the jump into hunting? You said you grew up fishing a, a fair bit and spent a lot of time fishing. What made you jump into hunting? I see hunting as as a as a duty, as an obligation. If you are a omnivore and almost everybody, is, I mean, we are as a species, but. Uh, if you are eating meat and you have never had a hand in where it comes from, you know, I don't think that's the right way to do things. I, I couldn't, like, I like, I'm into like small scale farming and, and homesteading type stuff. I garden and I raise chickens for, for eggs and things, but I'm not comfortable with raising animals to butcher. Yeah. Um, I like using them for other resources uh, and I have no problem with that concept. Uh, but at the same time, I'm very much like we we are hunter gatherers. You know, that's that's what our species is, and hunting is a big part of that. I'm a pretty comfortable gatherer and agriculturalist when it comes to small scale vegetable and fruit production. But it's like, well, I need to experience this other aspect of foundational human existence, and I've always wanted to. I've just lived in the cities and stuff, and have had other things to focus on. I was like, well enough excuses let's just go out there and learn how to source some food yeah beautiful and for those that don't know you're primarily a re recurve bow hunter from tasmania yes <laughs> yes so how yes. did that come about and you know for people that don't know bow hunting in tasmania has been banned for since 2016 okay yeah i think um, yeah, so just just to clarify, so no one comes knocking on my door, uh, bow hunting is technically banned, but what that means is that hunting with a bow is banned. And that only applies to game animals, protected and semi-protected species. There are feral species that are not protected by any of the hunting laws. All animals are protected by the animal, um, what they call them, the animal cruelty laws, uh, which applies to anything. So here in Tasmania, uh, rabbits are considered vermin. You can take them any which way you want. You can walk up and hit them in the head with a hammer. You could smash them with your car, whatever, uh, as long as you are, you know, reasonably humane. Like they're perfectly happy to use biological warfare on them and let them slowly fall apart with viral diseases, which is pretty cruel and inhumane. Khaleesi, myxomatosis, uh, Yes, stuff. it's it's awful stuff it's terrible but because they are considered vermin you can you can shoot them with a bow and everybody likes to get up in arms and say ah oh, bow hunting's banned it's like well these are vermin 
I could take also uh, kookaburras and feral cats as long as they're outside of two kilometers of someone's home. Um, I have not had that experience. <laughs> I do most of my uh, rabbit hunting uh, in peri-urban environments. So, you know, semi-rural um, homes and, and small acreages and things like that where uh, there's a whole lot of cover for them and a lot of rabbits. And I, yeah, I take them with a, a recurve bow that I shoot bare bow. Um, so I, sh I, I compete in, in traditional archery down here as well because I can't really hunt that much. So I have to do other things to keep my archery skills up to scratch. But yeah, I was just like, well, these are the legalities. I guess I am going to become Coach Josh Rabbit Hunter. <laughs> hey there's nothing wrong with rabbits man i wish we we had more over here because numbers are pretty low everywhere and i haven't had a good feed of rabbit in a while now <laughs> they're great oh, i've really beautiful. like i'd never had had rabbit until i decided to start hunting them and they're delicious i can make all sorts of things with them <laughs> yeah pretty much substitute them for anything that you use chicken for and yeah it's just i've uh, the Meat Eater recipe book has a great yeah, rabbit catchatory um, yep. recipe, and it's so good. Um, uh, it's, oh, it's so good. But my fa my go to is <laughs> Kentucky Fried Rabbit or Popcorn Rabbit. Uh, yeah, Popcorn Rabbit Nuggets. Uh, I haven't done that. I've only done sort of um, like a rabbit mustard sauce. I've done some sort of baked and roasted dishes. Uh, but I make a lot of potted rabbit. Yeah, beautiful. So preserved rabbit with... Uh, pork belly and, and herbs and then cooked down and then sort of turned into a terrine through shredding it up and then i put it in jars in the fridge and let it just kind of sit until it's all melded and delicious and just eat that it's a good good way to stretch stretch the rabbit out of it too definitely you definitely need to try popcorn rabbit though it's so yeah. so good um you can buy like cool. a Kentucky Fried Rabbit, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken um, recipe packet from uh, Woolies. Um, can't huh. re can't remember the brand. It's like a green and green and yellow packet, and it's yeah. Take all the all the meat off the bones you can, just in little popcorn chicken sized pieces, and roll cool. it around and deep fry it, and it's oh, so good. <laughs> it's one of my favorite awesome. things. Uh, yeah, shits all over KFC. <laughs> I think there's a niche there. I think maybe we should look into branching out into like Kentucky Fried Rabbit. Well, I heard um, rumors through my pop who used to be a professional shooter back in his, you know, late teens, early 20s. Um, and there was apparently a chicken shortage in Australia. Um, and because the rabbit numbers were so high, oh. um, they were selling rabbit to the KFCs as a substitute yeah. for chicken and no one great idea no one knew i'm not sure how true that is i'm not sure if it's just a you know a long tail from from my grandpa but a, you know this is when they were shooting 200 pair of rabbits uh, honestly that's that's i feel like that's the future of australian food is we need to be using these pestilent animals in the food ways like we need to be using rabbits we need to be using kangaroo and down here in tassie 100%. we need to be taking and putting wallaby on every goddamn menu yeah like it's just there's just no good reason not to utilize these resources that are completely out of whack with the ecosystem like we call them they should be eaten oh kangaroos here it's for every deer on my main properties there's probably 50 to 100 kangaroos for every deer 
you know, our, the South Australian government's declared war on deer, yet doing bugger yeah. all about the kangaroos, and it's just insane. There's yeah, a, it doesn't make any sense. But hey, that's politicians, isn't it? Oh, it's it's ridiculous. There's a <laughs> kangaroo. Are we allowed to say that on here? Oh yeah. Definitely, definitely. Especially after having Kate on uh, a couple of episodes ago, you know she um, doesn't like the WA politicians very much. So. Oh, God! <laughs> As no one does at the moment, but yeah, they're, they're pretty shit. So, what made you pick up a bow rather than a rifle? Being down in Tassie, red tape. So I've I've, I've shot both as a kid, like yeah. And, we we shoot 22 semi-automatic rifles at summer camp you know and we have bows and arrows like every kid has a fiberglass bow and arrow and i shot them as a kid and um, i've always liked the idea and as an adult i kept looking into getting back into archery and just always put it off was financial thing like and then a couple years back i was just like nah, just do it just do it like it doesn't have to be anything nice it's not anything fancy uh, and so I bought a compound bow actually first. And I, PSC, I still have my PSC Stinger. Beautiful bow. Uh, great bow. Fantastic. I learned so much. But I got so fed up with the cost of getting into compound archery. And I see the <laughs> bow on your wall there. But like, I'm like, oh, this site is garbage. And oh, I need to get a, you know, a new release aid. And like, every time I look at something halfway decent, it's the cost of just buying a, a new recurve bow. And I was like, nah. I'm just putting this on the wall. I'm I'm not I'm done with this. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna buy a recurve bow. I'm gonna learn that shit. I'm gonna take all the contraptions off of it. I'm gonna shoot trad. I'm gonna build my own arrows and shoot with feathers. And that's what I do now. And I was just I was doing it. And that's that's yeah. I, that's what I did. So I was just like, yep, yeah, cool. And but it was mostly because I was like the red tape to get a firearms license here was obscene. And it's like the cost firearms are very expensive. Yep. Like everything about them is very expensive. That said, I've just uh, just got my photo taken for my firearms license yeah, like yesterday. Um, so I'm going down that route because there's deer here that need to be eaten and they won't let me shoot it with a pointy stick. So I'm going to shoot it with a gun, but I had to, had to try the, the archery thing first and, you know, make sure the rabbits were afraid of me. <laughs> that's awesome what's the um target archery scene like in in tassie uh around hobart it's pretty good like we've got some really big and really awesome clubs here it's primarily olympic style recurve so uh sights bow clickers fancy aluminium risers and carbon limbs and all that jazz it's pretty popular some really big clubs uh, the trad scene is basically non-existent. There are three clubs in Tasmania. The nearest one's an hour away in the Hewan Valley. Uh, and then there's two other clubs, uh, one in Burnie, uh, and then one over in St. Helens. Uh, and you know, it's a, it's a small community on the mainland. Queensland has dozens and dozens, like Trish Archery is massive up there, even in over in Western Australia, so many great clubs, huge events, like na nationwide musters, state musters, lots of cool stuff going on. Down here, it's pretty small. You know, there's only, you know, maybe 30 to 50 uh, members of Trish Archery Australia down yeah. here. Um, but archery in general is actually pretty accessible. And there's a lot of options. But every time 
someone shows up uh, with string silencers on or, you know, fat hunting style arrows. <laughs> They're like, you know, bow hunting is illegal here. And I'm like, sort of. <laughs> I'm going to eat your rabbits. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a crazy one. What's the, like, the common views on hunting in those archery clubs down there? Like, would you have support if you tried to overturn? Probably not. No? Probably not, man. I don't understand it. I remember the the first traditional archery club that I went to up in Bernie, um, the the head of the Tasmanian Traditional Archery Association branch runs that club up there. And I told him, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm doing this because I want to, to produce food with it. And I run into this actually a lot in general with hunting where people are like, oh, I'm so against hunting. And it's like, well, you eat meat, right? And they're like, yeah, but I don't like hunting. It's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Um, but I've, my view of hunting in my head is not what most people have in their head. Um, what most people, what I, well, what I have in my head is, is Stephen Ranella and Donnie Vincent and Cam Haynes and people who are one with the lands going out on their own can-do attitude, backpacking into the middle of the wilderness somewhere, like spending days tracking the most monstrous and amazing thing to test their will against, taking this beautiful animal, cherishing all the food that they can get from it, honoring the creature and then carrying it out on their back to go share it with their friends, family and community. And I'm like, fuck yeah, that's, that's everything. Awesome. And <clears throat> I mentioned hunting to people around here and they're like, Oh, so you go out in a ute in a field at night with a giant spotlight and machine gun, everything in sight and then take your picture with it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? That's not hunting. That's culling. That's, yeah. that's basically farming. Um, so there's, there's a huge difference in, in what I see and what a lot of people perceive hunting to be locally. I've seen and the archery clubs are very odd in that they are really generally like, Ooh, we don't, we don't talk about that stuff here. And I think it's because of the stigma around bow hunting and making sure that they are not associated with any potential non God, I hate to say poaching because it's not poaching per se, just it's legalities around it and they don't want that potential inquiry into their club yeah. i suppose yeah it's a it's a funny <clears> one <throat> like here in south australia with the potential bow hunting ban um we had one of our archery clubs go from trophy bow hunters to trophy field archers they changed yeah, their name the same stuff. as soon as they started you know this negativity started they changed their name straight away, um, which, you know, I, I think is pretty Everyone cowardly. just rolled over for that shit. Yeah, it is. Everyone, it's the same here. Like, I looked into it. Like, <clears> I came to Tassie after the ban. Didn't know about the ban when I was looking into bow hunting. I was like, this is going to be a great place to bow hunt. And I look into it, and I look at the, the clubs and the businesses, and everyone just basically, like, rolled over, put their hips in the air, and said, yeah, we'll do what you say. For absolutely no reason. Yeah, it blows my mind. Um, as far as I know, you haven't been able to hunt deer with a bow in Tassie for a lot longer than the bow hunting bans been in place over there. Um, and then in 2016, I think it went from um, deer to goats and stuff like that, um, whatever so, else. So some clarity around that. Um, 
I don't know if you saw the incident. So there was a couple patty melons. Oh, I think it was patty melon and a wallaby that had some photos taken of them at a public park. Yeah. They had field air, field tip arrows through them. They're like aluminum arrows, uh, basically not hunting apparatus, not hunting gear in bad place shots, you know, through the legs and things like that. And so someone saw photos of that and got all over the internet and all the animal rights activists were like, Oh my God, bow hunting, bow hunting, bow hunting. And then Steve Gutwin at the time was head of primary industries uh, and came out and said, we're banning bow hunting, but actually nothing was really allowed to be taken with a bow except deer up until that point. And so they're like, because somebody probably young people using non hunting equipment shot some animals that are already illegal to take because they're natives which is another argument entirely, but they're not allowed to take the natives with an arrow. So they're already doing something illegal with an illegal or poorly chosen setup. They're like, okay, so now we're going to take away the only legal game you have in Tasmania from all the law abiding citizens. And it's like, and then everyone's like, yeah, it's a good idea. Let's just go with that. Yeah. South Australia seen a very similar thing on the lead up to, um, Susan Close's, um, you know, potential bow hunting ban is, you know, we had, there was an incident off a kangaroo island with a seal. Um, we've had a few, you know, kangaroos and stuff. Um, a few cats as well, but it all leads back to the exact same thing that you said. It's all non hunting gear. It's all field points and non hunting arrows, whether they're, you know, just aluminum arrows with a field point. Yeah. And illegal targets. Yep, exactly. And And they're not taking away... They're not going to take away bow hunting gear, even. No. You know, there's still the exact same equipment's going to be available. There's still going to be absolutely no regulations on that. Everyone can still go out and buy whatever they want. But now all the law-abiding, tax-paying citizens who are feeding into the economy around that are the ones being punished which basically means rural people and small businesses. That's it. That's it. It's, um, it, it blows my mind how it can get like this. And same with, you know, Western Australia with the whole, um, you know, limiting of how many firearms you can own where it's, you know, they were talking about five. I'm not sure if it's, if it was at, at the end five or 10, I can't remember, but still ridiculous. And then, you know, all this duck stuff that's happening in, Victoria oh, and God. South Australia at the moment, you know, you coming it's all from the states, you coming from the states where you know hunting waterfowl is just, you know, it's not an everyday occurrence, but you know it's so well managed and it's just a part of lifestyle over there. It's just insane. Well, it's it like you said, it's a it's a managed thing, you know. In the U.S., hunting pays for things like national parks and and reserves, and you buy you buy your, your tags for whatever you're hunting or you buy your, your hunting permits and things and you buy your equipment, even firearms, like the money you spend on that goes back into the system to maintain conservation efforts. That's it. And it's, it's a matter of, of management, like you said, and these people, if we can even call them that, let's call them politicians say <laughs> what they are. These politicians, you know, they they look for the bleeding hearts and the people who are the loudest and the most obnoxious in all of society. And they say, how we're going to pander to you because we can't manage these resources that it's like 
you know how much money Australia could bring in from international hunting tourism for feral animals? Yeah, it's insane. I talked to my bow hunting friends in the US, guys who take, you know, elk and deer regularly. And they're like, yeah, when's season there? I'm like, well, there's, there isn't seasons. Like you can go and hunt, a, you know, a buffalo, uh, a scrub bull, you know, up in the north whenever you want. You could take boars big as your car <laughs> any time of year. You can go hunt donkeys and camels and like five types of deer across the country basically whenever. Oh, also there's rabbits. And people are like, what? Why don't people know about this? I'm like, I don't know. I guess Australia doesn't want to make money. Yeah, it, it blows my mind, you know, having the channels that I have and just chatting to the international people that I chat to and, you know, explaining to them that we've got six species of deer, five of which you can hunt pretty much all year round. Um, that most, of you know, red and fallow deer rut is in the off-season for majority of Americans, so you know they could hunt two ruts a year if they they want to. Plus, you got the samba, yep. the rusa, the chittle. You know, Americans are obsessed with chittle or axis deer, as they they refer them to. Yep. And then when you start telling them about camels and donkeys and scrub balls and you know wild dogs and feral cats and <laughs> yep. the list goes on and on, that blows their mind because we got something like twenty six or twenty eight different animals we can legally hunt here like it's it's insane and as you said the tourism that we could if we you know branched out on it you know had international licenses and encourage people to come over here it could be a great economic booster especially for for rural areas like those areas that aren't bringing in a lot of tourism dollars great opportunity one thing that blows my mind about australia and you look at New Zealand and America is that you can take your animals to a butcher shop and they're going to process it all for you, you know, make all the sausages and that. So you're not spending thousands of dollars on, you know, bone saws and mincers and sausage makers and all of that. You can take it and get all of that made up for you, you know, because it is a time consuming. If you work a full-time job, you have a family plus you hunt, you know, there's having those like access to businesses that will do that for you is just insane. And I don't understand why we don't allow that here. It's just, well, it's for your own protection. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, it's bloody nuts. And that's, you know, the whole culling thing over here. And, you know, I know Tasmania has a, has a fair issue with um, culling the fallow deer over there. What's your take on the seasons for fallow deer over there? What's, the purpose of a season is to manage populations and make sure there's still enough to continue the practice of hunting them. So does it make sense to have a season for that purpose and then at the end of season spend four to six weeks flying around in a helicopter murdering every deer you can spot in your thermals? No, it doesn't make any sort of sense. That's a government-style solution. Let's take more money that we don't have to account for spend a heap of it and waste a resource because it's eating the plants. It's like, well, open the season. Let other people access that. Let people eat those animals or at least go in, turn it into food and then make money off of it. Sell it. There's that. If the government was like, we're going to do a coal and then all of a sudden we have all this like $6 a kilo venison, 
Hell yeah. One thing that I thought would be awesome if they're going to continue down this culling phase from helicopters is, you know, in the States, places like Texas have um, organisations called Hunt for the Homeless and there's various other organisations. If they collected these deer, dropped them off to a processor rather than, you know, in South Australia filling them up full of buckshot and BBs, uh, they could, you know, feed... Adelaide's homeless population is just skyrocketed um, the past couple of years. It's just ridiculous. I'm not sure what home, homelessness is like down in Tassie, but, you know, Adelaide it's, it's is... too ridiculous. cold for most people here. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Um, but, yeah, it's it's so bad here in Adelaide. And the food that you could feed these people and, you know, struggling families as well, you could have these organisations that give people wild game and feed them. So, you know, that's, yeah, yeah, it blows my mind. If, if any organisation or entity is saying, hey, we were going to take your money and waste all this food and then say that, you know, there are people starving and there's homeless issues and there's not enough food for certain populations, they don't care about you. Like, That's this it. is a resource that is already being utilized well it's, it's already being removed from the environment if you're calling something utilize that that is wasteful it is offensive that you would just like go out and kill heaps of especially natives that you're not allowed to say hunt with a bow or hunt in a lot of situations except for crop protection like we've got i'm i'm right outside of hobart two houses down there's a big empty block and every night there's around 50 wallabies on on that empty block on the side i can see it's a hill so you can't see the other side it's like these things are in plague proportions and they are being poisoned and killed and shot for crop protection but you just no one gets to utilize them it's just ridiculous there is a wallaby season over there, isn't there? For for them, I, there's a fella that I'm friends with on Facebook. He if you've got them. yeah, you can get heaps of them. Uh, if you've got crop protection permits yeah. or permission to to hunt lands, I think forestry. So I've got uh, permission to hunt on some forestry blocks, which is where I'll go for deer uh, next season. And you can take uh, water. Uh, sorry, you could take wallaby, and I believe you can take the patty melon too. Um, so you can basically take wallaby year round. Yeah. And are they Bennett's wallabies? Is that what they are? <clears throat> yeah, Bennett's. Yeah. yeah. So same same as so they got released from Tassie to New Zealand and that's the their main issue. So Whoa. Bennett's wallabies in New Zealand are in, you know, plague proportions and feral numbers. Yeah. They're, they're pretty much because there's know, nothing to control them. Yeah. <laughs> So when I went over there, the American boys had a blast trying to find a couple of them to take each. <laughs> They're tasty. Yeah, yeah, they they are. We um, cooked some up. We stayed in a cabin with um, we had a couple of um, backpackers stop in and stay in the same cabin as us. So we cooked them up some tar and some wallaby. And oh, all. that's so they cool. Were, they were pretty cool. Um, one was from the Netherlands. One was from Sweden. So. They had a oh, had a good good eye opener for them, and they were craving a pretty warm meal, and <laughs> you're living off of uh, backpacking rations for the last couple awesome. of months. So they were they were pretty stoked with that. So with the bow hunting gear, what's you know uh, you've done a trip over to the mainland uh, bow hunting. When was that? About a year ago, maybe a bit. Uh, it was April. 
uh, April this year. All right. So what type of gear did you get in preparation for that? And what did you go chasing? So I went chasing pig. Uh, we've got uh, a friend of my wife's, they've got a, a bush block um, out near Owalan, New South Wales. So uh, about an hour in from Oladulla region. Uh, really, really nice bush, like just like kind of open, scrubby, beautiful, beautiful country. And they have a heaps, heaps of pigs. Pig problem up there. Feral pig and feral goat are like my two target species that I really want to go for because I eat a lot of pig and I eat a lot of goat from farms. Oh, um, and on that note, pig and goat in Tasmania are considered stock. So even if they're feral, they're owned by the owner of the property. And so that is another one of the species you can take with a bow as long as you have permission to take them because they are not protected in any way. Um, that said, I have not seen any feral there's technically no feral pigs they say but there are feral goats but i have yet to come across them just sign but anyway so i was up there going for pig um and i what did i take so i've got a black hunter takedown so a black hunter is a super cheap chinese made recurve bow uh it's like the samic sage from china samic sage is a korean bow um very Similar price points, a little bit cheaper. They've got some cooler looking risers um, and a lot of limbs that you can get in a million different poundages. Um, So I have, what was I shooting? Those are 50 pound longbow limbs. So I've got a a modern riser, but I shoot longbow limbs. Uh, Jack Sphinx string. Beautiful. As you you should be shooting. Uh, And I was using carbon arrows. So I shoot carbons most of the time in competition for traditional archery. You have to shoot woods. So I make wooden arrows for those things. Um, but I love carbon. Um, so I was shooting, what were they? Easton power flights. Uh, and the broadheads were, so I standardize all of my arrow shafts using weighted inserts um, because I only buy 125 grain tips, whether it's broadheads or field points or blunts, I only get 125s and then I weight everything with, with inserts or outserts. Um, just to standardize that. Um, and I was shooting, oh, is it alien archery? Yep, alien archery. Good yeah. stuff. Yeah, it must be what it was. Um, I have I have a bunch of alien archery and a bunch of Zots, Cayugas, um, which I quite like too, but I like the alien archery a lot just because it's so simple and punchy. What alien archery heads are you running? Of? Oh, I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> I'm Jumping just, on to fact check. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure they're the replicants. Uh, replicants. Yeah, it must have been the replicants. No, they, just saying what my last order was. They hit yeah, hard. I've got, a, I've got a few here in the in the drawers. Um, the V2s. Yeah. They're 175. I think they're 175 grains. They hit hard, and they've just got they're mm. super tough and. Um, can't remember but i've taken a few goats with them and yeah they they're super effective they're just basically invincible like i like the simple design you know a single bevel two blade that's it like you don't need anything super fancy for for most game you just need to be a good shot and you gotta have the the woodsman skills that get you close um so i just i shoot those with a um eagle's flight 
uh, for arrow quiver. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, bow quiver, which is a beautiful quiver. Just absolutely light. Lightest thing in the world. Sits so nice on the bow. Um, yeah, and so I, I went up there for a couple days trying to chase pigs. And it was a it was a cool trip. I heard, actually I heard um I heard deer yeah, wow. out there. Fallow or I'm reds? Assuming, fallow. Yeah, beautiful. Um, they're kind of barking. Uh, I heard them out out in the bush in the distance because it was just massive, massive chunk of land. Um, but they were way off in the distance, and I did most of my time sitting around the water holes and looking at pig sign. And I was out there for two days and just like sun up to sundown hunting did a lot of sitting and a lot of walking and exploring and following game trails and just saw nothing <laughs> absolutely not a thing so much you know pig sign pig shit holes dug tracks from the water holes but didn't hear anything didn't see anything and i'm like this is ridiculous like how can there be this much sign and i see nothing and i'm like yeah, maybe I'm not the best hunter in the world, but like I'm, I'm, you know, using the wind and I'm being very mindful of what's going on. And it's like if I can get within ten meters of a rabbit, surely I can get close enough to see at least see a pig. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Uh, and then I was on the end of my second day, and I was like, well, all right, I gotta head back because I gotta get back before dark. So I pack up, and I was just, I usually just do my backpacking gear, and I uh, use a tarp, sleep under a tarp, and I start hiking my way out. And I come over this ridge to where I can see the road and my car parked there. And there's three pigs standing in front of my car. <laughs> oh, no. I'm just like, what are the... I come over this hill and the pigs, they like, look at me. And I look at them and they bolt. And there were literally, there was a fence and my car. And on this side of the fence, there was three pigs. <laughs> I was just stunned and so i drop all my stuff and i try to come around with the wind and sneak up on it and it just gone spent like an hour trying to follow them up but i was just like i guess that's, that's hunting isn't it that's why they call it you know hunting not that's it finding and shooting <laughs> oh man the amount of times i've joked about that when i've gone hunting you know you go out for deer on the deer block and it's just you know you're not seeing anything. It's like, oh, what if you get back to the car and there's a big buck or a big stag or a big billy standing yeah. right in front of your car? Would you put the shot in it knowing that you'd get a pass throw into your car? And it's like, oh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, be bloody tempting. <laughs> I, I was like a couple hundred meters off. Like, there's no way I can take that shot with a, a trad bow. But. Yeah, you'd be tempted. Yeah, 100%. What type of um, preparations did you do for the hunt? Were you like um, using online maps to check out the property before you went and mark out water sources? Yeah, that's exactly what I did. So I really like, and I do this with with the uh, the rabbit hunting properties too, is I really like to use, we got what's called list maps here in Tasmania. So the, the land survey maps and... They're awesome, awesome resource. And I do that with backpacking and, and trekking and stuff too, is I like to scout the landscape from on maps. I have a, a lot of maps, um, but also any sort of aerial photography and topography yeah. maps. If I can overlay like the landscape with a topography map, I'm super happy. So I did do that. I kind of had, because I had to know the, the boundaries of the, the property as well. And there was a river valley. Well, there's a valley that would have held a creek 
but it was dry. So I was kind of like, right, I don't know what's going to be going on here. We have one dam here. You know, this is the general lay. It's pretty level until you get to the back of where the dam is. And then it drops down into this huge valley, then up into these hills. And so I, I liked to, in general, I like to scout ahead see like what my plan of attack is going to be, which, which avenue I'm going to come in. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to come in. I can't just walk straight down the main drag from, from the gate if the wind's coming this way or like, so having a few different avenues of approach, um, like if you're limited to like, this is the trail or there's only one way in, well, it is what it is. Um, but I, I kind of looked ahead and I was like, okay, so there's, there's one main four wheel drive track up through the middle and there's a side track that goes around the dam and the one that borders the property on the other side i'm going to go into the main block where they have some some storage stuff and set up my camp uh and then i'm going to either see what the wind's doing or what time of day it is um scout and sit the dam the first night um at sunset or up into sunset and then i'm going to spend the morning's sunrise at the other end of the dam look at going back to that river during the day spending some time back there and seeing if there's tracks like like planning that stuff out well in advance and having a game plan um is i think just a good idea in general because like you can learn a lot from landscape like you know where animals are going to want to be it's like they're going to want access to water they're going to want access to cover if it's during the day they're definitely going to be undercover you know you want to be in those those boundary areas as the day transitions you want to be near water when it's hot or you know morning evening and like understanding just landscape and, and animal in general behavior is just good planning yeah exactly so did you have any um like people that influenced your hunting <clears throat> any role models anyone that you know that you you've gone out with and learned stuff with, or is it all self-taught and just videos and YouTube? It's all self-taught because I'm in Tassie. There's, there's no one here that will say that they're a bow hunter out loud, you know, cause it's, it's why it's just such a, a tricky thing to say um, because we used to have a big bow hunting community. Everyone talks about this bow hunting community and people used to go up to the mainland all the time. And then, you know, they live down here, but now people don't even talk about it. Um, so it's just kind of self-taught, a lot of online um, Facebook groups and, and forums, a lot of YouTube and a lot of just, well, if I can hit something at this distance, great. Now I'm going to go out and try to get that close to a rabbit because rabbits are, are small. <laughs> and when I was using compound uh, bow, like I could take a rabbit 35, sorry, uh, 25 to 30-ish meters, pretty good, pretty consistently. Um and then with the the trad bow, you know, I, I need to get under 15 meters to be real, real accurate. Like there's just too much wiggle room and I don't want to punch it through the gut and ruin the meat and torture the rabbit. So it's like you got to know your limits and then you go out and you you try to stay under them. Yeah. Now, rabbits luckily, are... luckily with rabbits too, like, like that's where I cut my teeth on. Um, but luckily it's... One of those things like you generally just either hit them or you don't. Yeah. They're, they're not big. What about European hares? Do you have European hares over there? We do. I have not seen any. I think there's more up in the north, um, but I haven't done any hunting oh. up there. Once you you cut your teeth on those fellas, they're, they're one of my favorite things to bow hunt. They are just they're cool, awesome fun to chase. But yeah, 
by the time I took my first rabbit with a bow, I'd already taken a few deer and a, a heap of goats and like rabbits are just, you know, cause the numbers here aren't that great, but they're, they're awesome fun. And then you chat to the older bow hunting community um, and just, the amount of rabbits that they'd shoot with bows back in the day, they'd sit off of a rabbit warren in a makeshift blind and they'd just shoot rabbits and cats all day. You know, you'd get foxes and cats come through the warren and they'd just shoot them as well and it's just absolutely insane. I wish the... I know, I know it's not great for a conservation standpoint, but I wish the rabbit numbers were greater. <laughs> <laughs> you know how to say that. Yeah, I know. Rabbits are bad. I know. <laughs> but it's... I mean... Yeah, honestly, they're just, it's kind of one of those those things I feel like should just be part of growing up. It's like you learn how to source food, you learn how to raise a garden and shoot some rabbits back home. It's, you know, it's rabbits and squirrels, you know, or, or like, you know, pheasants or something like it just, the small game should be a part of growing up, I think. And there's just so much opportunity for it here. Oh man, I wish we had squirrels. I've said on the <clears> podcast before, it's just... You know, when I went over to Texas, we seen one. It was probably like 150 meters running across the road, and I was I was spewing. I I wanted to shoot and eat a squirrel so freaking bad. They're pretty tasty. Oh, I've I've heard they're, they're very tasty. similar to rabbit. I've heard, and I also wanted they're much darker. I also want to go to the um, Arkansas um, World Squirrel Cookoff they have over there. But That'd if, be awesome. Oh, it sounds so good. I was listening to um, Clay Newcomb's Bear Grease podcast and they covered it. And, you know, they were making all sorts of squirrel dishes. I'm like, oh, it sounds so good. <laughs> I got a buddy up in uh, Vancouver who squirrel hunts with a uh, blowgun. Yeah, beautiful. Oh, I, I love blowguns. They're so much fun. Um, you know, so cool. Also illegal here. Yeah, I know. It's it's crazy. Which is ridiculous. <laughs> it's so... just going to be me complaining about stuff. Yeah. Oh, don't worry. Um, That's We do a lot well, of listen, that on this listen, podcast. Listen, if you need a contact to uh, get some squirrels, you know, I know some people. <laughs> a squirrel habit, like a squirrel population all of a sudden shows up here. Oh, this apparently... conversation never happened. Apparently chatting to um, some people after one of my earlier episodes, Melbourne had a small feral squirrel population and Western Australia has a f- small um, African squirrel population in around around Perth. So, Still? Yeah, I think Perth still has theirs. Melbourne doesn't. Um, but yeah, there was a few small... And I apparently wonder, Adelaide also had a small population around the botanical I wonder why gardens. they didn't take off. Uh, I don't know, but I wish they did. <laughs> I wonder if it's a competition with possums. Yeah, more than likely. Probably competition with you know possums and you know the predatory birds we have over here. Yeah. That'd pick them off pretty quick. How interesting. Um, what about going out with a rifle hunter? Because there's plenty of rifle hunters and you know deer hunters over in Tassie. Have you gone yeah. out with someone to learn the ropes on a on a larger animal, or is it something that you would like to do? Yeah, uh, so I, I haven't gone out with anybody here. Um, I've I've butchered uh, pigs before, um, so large animals. Honestly, I've found that the more animals that I've I've butchered, the more um, my anatomy lessons at university kind of just come back and you go, oh, it's, everything's the same. Like mammals are mammals. They're pretty, pretty easy to dismember. Um, 
but no, I've, I haven't been out with anybody here. Um, I've got some friends up in Victoria, uh, a, a buddy of mine. You might know him, uh, Calum, Calum yep. O'Grady. Calum's been yeah, on so the podcast, been... so great dude. Oh, of course he has. Yeah, <laughs> so we, we've been chatting a lot, and we're going to set up a time for Tasmania deer season next year. So I'm getting all my, my firearms stuff together specifically for the coming deer season. And so we're going to pick pick some dates, and we're going to go out, out bush and do that stuff. And I figure he'll he'll be able to make sure I know what i need to do um and then we're going to try and set up a time for me to come up to victoria as well yeah well beautiful if you're ever in adelaide sing out or if you ever plan on heading to adelaide sing out, and we'll get you out but yeah i've i'm slowly starting to plan a samba trip next year sometime and caleb's like if you do it let me know i'll come come sherry camp with you so he's he's a good dude <laughs> yeah let me let me know let me know if you get some plans going yeah yeah we'll do uh it's I've, I've hunted Zamba once, but yeah, after hunting hog deer last year, it's just made me want to go hunt Zamba even more after passing through all that Zamba country. It's nice country up there. Is that something you do? Do you put in for the hog deer permit for the ballot? No. no. You no, should. I haven't, I haven't bothered yet. Once, once I get all my firearms stuff, because the firearms thing is, is new to me as, as an adult, you know, so once I get all this, this sorted and figure out what I need, um, I'm going to start looking at the logistics because a big thing for me is I, I want the meat. Uh, and so if I'm going to the mainland to hunt, I need to drive and take the ferry and then have the equipment to keep that frozen and take it back. Um, so I have to look into logistics of that. I know there are some services that will allow you to freeze and ship it as well. Um, I've got a friend who went over to New Zealand to hunt as well, looking at how to get that back here to Tasmania. Um, so like a big thing for me is like, I really want to make sure I utilize that meat. Even if I don't get to keep it all, like it's fine if, as long as it gets utilized. Um, so I haven't really looked into too much on the mainland yet, except for going after Sambar with, with Calum. If you put in, you'd, I reckon you'd have a good shot at getting one with a bow, whether it was, you know, a mature stag or just a hind or a spiker. Um, after seeing yeah. numbers this year, um, it's something that if I dedicated time to, I reckon I would have been able to get get one with the bow, but I just wanted to tick the species off and get it done. Cool. Um, but I reckon you'd have a fair shot with, especially with your experience hunting rabbits and rabbits are cunning, tricky little, little buggers. I reckon you'd have a good shot with the bow. Um I think cool. there's been a couple of guys that have taken them with recurves over on Snake Island and in the ballot periods, but yeah, I reckon you'd have a have a pretty good chance. And I think the ballot closes on the thirty first, so you still got time. I think it's about twenty five bucks. Um, I can send you a link after if you remind me. Or, but yeah, I'm I, write down. I've been telling every everyone to enter it, so there's probably going to be way more <laughs> increase especially after yeah. the podcast this year on it but it's it's a cool hunt and i recommend everyone to do it <laughs> cool yeah i'll dig into that yeah um there's a fella <coughs> down your way shane who he took i think he took 25 years to draw um to draw it so but you know he took a really really nice stag over there over there but yeah he'd he brings it. He he does a mainland trip a few times a year for Samba, but so he he freezes everything and brings it all back and makes sausages. It, he'd be a good guy to awesome. hook you up with. Um, 
he gets onto a fair amount of fallow down that way, and he nice. he utilizes the everything. So he's a he'd be a really good role model to show you the ropes around. That's what I like to hear. The deer stuff, yeah. Um, and he's got a world of knowledge. He's taken all all six deer species in Australia, and a few New Zealand species, and you know seeker and tar, and he's just cool, an absolute weapon. Um, so other than just online. Um, preparation what else did you do to prepare for a hunt because that's a it's a reasonably big hunt jumping you know across from Tassie to over to New South Wales on a hunt by yourself when you've never really done done a hunt was there much more that you did not really I just tried to get out as much here so uh, I, I changed my physical training up based on what I'm doing so you know I've had a couple traditional archery tournaments multi, they're kind of multi-day tournaments here so usually at least two days um and so i stay more or less in shape all the time but like for the tournaments i'll start transitioning away from other forms of training and building up more volume of just archery time because two days of field archery like you're just wrecked um and so it's a lot of like building that stamina and being able to repeat the shot over and over and shooting when you feel like shit uh and so whereas with the hunting stuff if i know i'm going to go out for a hunt and in particular this pig hunt i'm not going to have to take a lot of shots you don't actually shoot that much when you hunt this is the thing that i think a lot of people get wrong where they're spending like you need to be accurate but you don't need to you need to be first shot accurate you need to be accurate when cold and that's what you have to get really really good at and that's very similar to uh, my experiences in in like powerlifting and strongman it's like you you have you have to be able to do something really really well once it's not a three minute round it's not repetitions and so spending a lot of time just taking pot shots uh and stuff i found more valuable but also just more time on trail walking running just generally because you you know you're gonna spend a lot of time sitting but I, i'm not very good at sitting um i like to to try and still hunt and so it's you know a lot of walking and tracking and that kind of thing. So spending more time on trail, watching videos of people and individuals going over their process of how they still hunt or how they, they track and, you know, understanding the animal, looking at their behavior, looking at um, what's what variations you might see in that area. And in this case, too, talking to the owners of the property and see what kind of behavior they've noticed. Um, so studying the animal, studying your art, understanding your your woodcraft, not just for the camping stuff, but navigating um, through the bush, understanding how to use your optics well and, and how to scout, and then just being capable of moving consistently because it's backpack hunting um, with a you know moderate to lightweight backpack on through the bush. Um, and so it's a lot of skill based stuff and then just general fitness. Like yeah. if, if you're out of shape, overweight and weak, you're going to have a harder time literally doing everything. Um, so just maintaining good level of fitness, but transitioning more to walking, running, trail running, uh, less of the, the weight focus and then spending more time mastering my skill sets. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, you mentioned glass and that there a minute ago. Let's run through your gear. Um, what binos are you running? Bino harness, all of that type of stuff. All my shit's cheap. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've got one of my. I've got the. Was it Vortex? Uh, Dimebacks. Yep. Ten ten by forty two. I think they are. 
uh, with the the harness that comes with them. Yeah. Um, I bought a, a set um, when I was over in the U.S. at Christmas because they had a Christmas sale at Shields Beautiful. Outdoor Stores, man, in yeah. the U.S. Oh, if you've it's... ever been, they're the best. Oh, I... oh, they're the best. If you ever go to Texas, go check out Academy. Um, absolutely crazy. So cool. And, um, yeah, just Bass Pro and um, Cabela's oh. just... The best. <laughs> yeah, you just there's nothing like it over here. Oh, there's but all... yeah, there was all the Christmas sales, and so I picked up um the the Vortex Diamondbacks and the Vortex Simple Harness, uh, and then I've got a small Amazon rangefinder. Yeah, beautiful. It's, wasn't wasn't too expensive. It's been very accurate um in the ranges that I I use because um, I tested a lot when setting up my because I got a small field archery range at my house here up the side it's just up a hill and so i use the uh angle adjusting range finder to set all my targets up um that's that's about all i use what about knives what knives are you running while you're out as many as i can carry (laughs) um so i've got a buck knife um just one of their basic hunting skinning knives um, nothing too fancy. I've had it for years. It's a high carbon one, holds an edge really nice. I use that for for rabbits. Um, it's a little bit big for for a lot of that, but it's just easy to to get under the skin and and take heads off. Um, and then I also either carry the little uh, was it Sog uh, Tac XR Cryo Two. So Beautiful. one of these little guys. It it's. A really really handy one that i use for uh, rabbit hunting a lot as well just i carry one pocket and i carry one belt knife um if i'm not using that i'm using an open l and i've skinned farm pigs with with this little guy they're just brilliant blade so easy to use lightweight super sharp um that's my little bit of everything so i'll either use that for um rabbits or i'll use the the sog um i'll carry the carry the buck around as well just as a belt knife because what i do for at least rabbit hunting is i use a bum bag system um so i got a little little bum bag and i use the belt off that to carry the the belt knife because if i have you know a handful of rabbits and i need to chop heads real quick i want the bigger knife for that um, and so when I was out for the pig, I just basically carried that set. I carried the buck on the belt. Uh, in that case, actually, it was it was buck on the backpack, and then I carried the sog in the pocket, um, and then I carried an open L in the pack as a spare, along with a multi tool. Um, and that's yeah, basically my knife setup. And then I just keep them keep them sharp. Sounds like me carrying more knives than you actually need. <laughs> yeah, it I mean, because when, when it comes to it does. And when it comes to backpacking, like all my gear is really, really light. And so if I'm going to go out bush with the focus of, of hunting, um, I'm going to carry more than I need to because I'm not actually walking that far compared to when I was working on trail. Yeah. And the open old dude, because they're the mushroom foragers, you know, um, go to yeah. item. Do you do much foraging over? Over in Tassie, is there many mushrooms? Uh, some. I did more when I lived in Victoria, uh, just because I had better access to like pine tree forests, and so you go out for saffron milk caps and slippery jacks and things like that. And no other mushrooms at all, except those in those pine forests. There. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but some here, like I've gone out 
uh, for Slippery Jacks. There's not heaps that I'm familiar with. I have a couple mushroom gardens here at home that I've made for, for shiitakes and King Strafarias. So I don't really forage much, um, but I did more on the mainland. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, there's yeah foraging something that I've been really, really keen on recent years. I haven't been able to do too much of it, but, um, yeah, it's, it's something that I've been, you know, I found a few, um, shaggy mane mushrooms here and there and um they've been a delight to to cook up and eat and then um i found a bunch of edible puff puff balls and cool a bunch of nice. other stuff I, I didn't didn't actually like the puff balls though they were a strange strange flavor um similar to tofu and i don't like tofu so that was probably my my huh. um <laughs> interesting the reason why i didn't like them um yeah but yeah there's uh, do you guys get pacinis over there at all? Or? I don't know if we do. I've been out foraging with a few people before, and, and the big ones that we see, like a lot of the natives aren't edible as far as we know. Yep. It's the introduced ones that we find mostly around pine plantations. There are bluets, which are a Tasmanian native that are blue, um, that you can cook and eat. I haven't. I've only seen a handful here or there, and I just haven't bothered. Um, we do get some puff balls, but that's just never been interesting to me. Um, we do actually, there is one, there is one that you forage seasonally here, which isn't a ground mushroom. It's a fungi that grows off of the, uh, rainforest myrtle trees, okay. the, uh, Nothofagus, Nothofagus guni, like it is the, uh, the rainforest myrtles. Uh, and there's a symbiotic, not quite mushroom, but orange bright orange fungus that looks like a golf ball like an orange golf ball that grows on the trees seasonally and it's got kind of like a crunchy exterior with this sap inside i've harvested a couple of them that's kind of a, a niche tasmanian thing they only really are found here and only old people seem to know about them um but i've, I've done a little bit of that and just opportunistic harvesting and they're pretty interesting but you know, with, with mushrooms, it's like I just stick to what I really know because yeah, exactly. there's too many ways to go wrong. Oh, definitely. Um, that's, yeah, the only thing that worries about me. There's a bunch of great mushroom foraging groups on Facebook, though. So, yes. And watching, you know, everyone do do that type of foraging is awesome to see as well. Just need, you know, get people, because it's funny being on those foraging pages, a lot of them tend to be you know, <laughs> vegan, hippie type, type yep. people. So, you know, <laughs> what, which mushroom goes best with the deer I just shot? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I've been in that situation a couple of times, <laughs> you know, cooking up, you know, mushroom, wild mushroom and venison stroganoffs and stuff like that. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Posting them up. Um, you know, being reasonably new to hunting, what would be your top beginner tip to someone that's getting into hunting? Hmm. Oh, there's so many. I mean, it's so hard because there's so many aspects to it. That's what I like about hunting because it's 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 backpacking, it's wilderness skills. Because I, I went through a, a bushcraft phase before I got into long distance backpacking, you know. And it's like you got this combination of things here. It's about procuring food. It's about being outside. So I would say that top question would be ask questions or top top tip would be just ask more questions. You're going to get a lot of grumpy old people that are going to get mad at you on, on the internet, but <laughs> ask questions anyway. 
but also I'd say if you were to focus on something, you know, understanding and knowing your, your meat taker, your firearm, your weapon, whatever you want to call it is, is important. But I think it's the wood skills, the, the understanding of the animal, the environment is probably the most important thing because you could, if you're good enough at those skills, you could beat it over the head with a rock. You know, like if you were a good enough woodsman, you could walk up behind a deer and crack it over the head. Um, I'm not, but <laughs> there are people who, who could do such things. Like, uh, I can't remember the guy's name. It was a Canadian guy who bow hunt, not bow hunts. He blow gun hunts big game. Uh, he takes black bear with a blow dart. Tim Wells. Is that who? You, I think that's his Mar- name. American, yeah. American, not Canadian, but yeah, he, Is uh, he, uh, Canadian friend was telling me about him. Yeah. He, does a lot of blow blow gun hunting and spear hunting and he's, a, yeah, he's you, an animal. If you're good enough, right. you can get close to animals with very primitive weapons and fill your freezer. You know, the more primitive, the less range, the less accuracy. So you have to be a better woods person. So if you're an incredibly good woodsman, you'll be able to take anything. That's because it, it doesn't matter if you can hit something at 200 yards or 100 yards or 50 yards if you're within five yards you're not going to miss yeah how did you find <clears throat> you mentioned asking questions online how did you find the you know the bow hunting and traditional um hunting people on instagram facebook when finding questions were they welcoming and happy to help you or in general i think they were awesome there's just some really good bow hunting facebook groups big ones uh the the traditional hunting communities are awesome because it's so niche and old school people are generally like very interested in helping bring up the next generation because it's generally it's a lot of older folks and they're not going to be around forever and they've got a lot of lessons to pass on um so generally very very welcoming uh, in general there's always the oddballs but a um, lot of questions were answered very well. There's a lot of knowledge. Um, and I was really surprised how big the traditional archery community was in Australia. Like I think the Facebook it's group huge. has a couple thousand people there, um, which in relation to the population is, is massive. Like the, the U.S. traditional archery page has like 10,000. Well, there's 350 million people there and there's, 25 million here if we got 2,000 people on that page like that's that's a huge portion and that's just the ones um, and on they've been page. generally that's right and they've been really very helpful and lots of good good uh answers and, and welcoming in general i do find there's there's a, some cultural differences on that note like looking at like you said if you look at uh you know the u.s hunting groups or even like new zealand um canada and then you look at australia there's there's very there's there's tradition uh and there's differences in cultural attitudes around certain things for sure um when we were talking before about the south australia bow hunting ban and like me kind of going well this is bullshit i'm not gonna let this happen um i tell all my american and canadian friends they're like yeah fuck that and then i tell and and in the communities over there we're like no this is garbage like let's let's stop this from happening and then i posting a 10,000 person strong Facebook group on hunting in general here in Australia. And I'm like, 
we should just literally click this button to help fight this. And people are like, eh, yep. it sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that seems to be an Australian thing in the hunting and shooting community. Um, I've said it before, you know, uh, you try and do these different campaigns for, you know, whether it's, trying to change firearm laws and just people aren't interested in doing anything. They're the first to complain when something happens, but they don't do anything or voice anything. Like I, I know you had yeah. a fair bit to do with how, um, and getting the message across with them, um, about the South Australian bow hunting ban. And, you know, over here, no one does nothing. There's, there's more people in the States that are, you know, put the yeah. word out like Ryan Callahan, um, you know, talking about it on his podcast and, um, you yeah. know, um, Robbie from Blood Origins, all these guys that do a fantastic yeah. job and they're not even from Australia. They don't like, they care, but it doesn't affect them if it's banned or not here. Yeah. That was, I mean, I saw that happening and I'm sitting here in Tasmania. I'm like, not fucking again. <laughs> We're not doing this again. Like not on my watch. Yeah. I got so offended for you guys. And I was like, this is not happening. I'm like, all right, I know people. Let me reach out to the network. Let's see what we got. And I, I chatted with some every hunter I know. And I got some friends over in the US who they know people. And they're like, you need to speak with Hal. I'm like, what's Hal? They're like, check, check this shit out. And they put me in contact with with the guys over at Hal. And I just shot him an email. I shot him a message followed up on it, had some conversations and they're like, yeah, okay, we could put together a campaign for you. And, you know, we got, I don't even know how many signatures it's gotten up to maybe it's just under 2000 or something, but I followed up with, with them. And then I followed up with, with blood origins and, uh, you know, they, they did some talking around that too, which was awesome. Uh, and then I started sending shit to MPs in South Australia like, especially was like, I don't know any of these people. I don't know what they do. Uh, but hey, all their information is on the internet. So I, I put together 20 something email addresses and, and intros. And so every time someone signed something on how each one of those people got an email and I That's finally awesome. got a hold of one of the, uh, the new, I think it was one of the new liberal MPs uh, over there. Because a, a lot of people weren't willing to to talk, and I actually got an email back, and they're like, "This is one of the biggest community engagements we've had on an issue." You know, we've, I've gotten over like fifteen hundred emails about this one issue, and it's like, "Oh, cool!" Yes, yeah, <laughs> so people are actually hearing this. Sarah Game, and oh, I'm trying to think yes. of the other fella's name i know he likes something today i'm trying to ben sarah game ben hood ben hood is that yes, yes I think ben that was... hood, south australian yeah. he's he's been awesome on the issues so um yeah. both of them have been great i would love to actually get him on the podcast i hate politics in in general because i because i know nothing about it and you know politicians seem to take away shit that i like so <laughs> yeah that uh no sarah sarah game was the only person in this, oh, there might have been one other person, but the only one that was publicly speak out when this was proposed, and she just basically said, "This is silly, and why is this happening?" Uh, and no one else said anything. 
And so I got in touch with her and just in general, watching her politics unfold through, through her profile on Instagram, she seems to stand up for a lot of really good shit, like actually representing her constituents and supporting the communities that voted her in and making sure they get a fair go of it. And you know, that her office in general has been very helpful when I've reached out to them and, and it was Ben Hood too, emailing back and saying they've had great interaction from community. People are actually saying things and saying that we don't want this. And like you said, it's been a year or something since what's her face uh, sponsored by RSPCA came in to say that she's going to ban bow hunting for literally no reason whatsoever at the same time declaring war war on deer um that bow hunting ban hasn't happened thank god for that um yeah she's gone she's gone quiet on the whole topic but you know there's been you know flooding in the riverland and a bunch of other things that have popped up this whole referendum as well has kept them pretty busy so that's yeah. that's something you know that's kept people off let's of just it. keep them busy but um, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just just play that whole referendum thing again and again and again, just to keep yeah, them away yeah. from bow hunting. Um, but you know, I've I've had a couple of people message me about doing a freedom of information request to Susan Close about the bow hunting. So one of my mates is um mm. is doing that at the moment. So hopefully we get some more information about it. Um, you know, these that'll be awesome to see. Um. I've heard rumors that she's gotten in trouble before this being Susan close for not, um, answering freedom of information requests. So she's, Hmm. she's pretty bad for not doing it. So she gets in trouble for, for it. So, you know, keywords like bow hunting and, you know, archery and all of that stuff would be awesome to find out what's going back and forth between her and RSPCA and all of that type of stuff. Well, I mean, she's, been involved with RSPCA a long time and that was one of her uh, what was it one of her like campaign promises which is a weird thing to campaign for like who's up in arms about bow hunting but anyway like one of the topics of emails that I sent to people was like this would be a really good thing to just never finish talking about like you put out this idea we're going to ban bow hunting and it's happening and everybody got a letter but it'd be real easy just for it to not ever be brought up because there has been no legislation on it. That's it. Yeah, and it's it's a crazy one. And from my understanding, she's grown up. I think her dad was pretty big in the animal rights type of community, mm-hmm. and she is. And um, yeah, it's just just a rabbit Whereas hole. Sarah Game is formerly a veterinarian, I believe. Yes, yes, she is. And I think she's got hunters in her family or former hunters in her family. Ben Hood as well. His, you know, his grandfather was a huge waterfowl hunter from my understanding from chatting to him. So it's great People who to live see. off the land. It's great. Human nature. Oh, yeah. it's And it's great seeing these people actually say that, you know, that <clears throat> They've come from these backgrounds. Whether they do it now or not, they still have an understanding of what it's about and that it's not just killing for the sake of killing, like government culling, you know. (laughs) It blows my mind. Moving on a bit, though. Top five items for a beginner you would recommend? What's stuff that you've gotten and, you know, 
recommend or, you know, you've tried a few different things and you've found something that you really like and recommend? In regards to... Just hunting gear in general. Any gear. Top five things. Well, I mean, my, my thing is, is bows. Um, <sighs> top items. Uh, honestly, if you're you're just trying to get into stuff, like you're brand new and you're like, I want to become Tasmania's top rabbit hunter. And you're like, I'm going to get into to bows and archery and stuff like that. It's cheaper and more affordable in general. Like it's, it's more budget friendly to go recurve, but it's much more time consuming. You'll spend less on money. You'll spend way more in time. Whereas if your goal is to be as um, efficient and get into the sport as quickly as possible, get its compound bow that's already set up. So I would say, you know, top thing you should do is figure out which direction you want to go, figure out your budget. You don't need the fanciest shit. You need functional and get yourself something that's going to last. You know, the PSE Stinger series bows are fantastic. I got mine secondhand from a guy in Victoria. Like there's so many of them going around as people upgrade. That's what I recommend to anyone getting in. They're like, what's a good budget bow? bow?" I'm like, if you find yourself a secondhand stinger or even a new one, you know, I think they're about 700 ish dollars for a package. And that's, you know, five or six arrows, quiver, sight, release aid, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I would say get the full setup. I'm a, I'm a tinker. I like to, fiddle and test things and customize even though it takes a lot of time um but i would say if you're just getting into it just buy a setup buy a setup make sure it's ready to go so you can practice shooting that's it It, whether it's firearms whatever just get something that is functional and that you don't have to figure out too much just get good at using your weapon your firearm your meat gatherer whatever you want to call it um so that's that's top thing and then good backpack if, if you're going to be, you know, backcountry hunting or whatever it is, you need a good pack, um, spend good money on a pack. That's, unfortunately, you do get what your money, what you pay for when it comes to, to backpacks. Um, my background's backpacking, so, like, that's probably, I should have said that. That's that's probably a given. Like, get, get a good pack. What are you um, looking for in a what are you looking for in a pack when you're picking out a pack and what, what should people be looking for? If you're going for bigger game and you're not going to use it as a primary, like just recreational backpacking pack, get something with a, a meat shelf. Um, they don't have to be the, you know, latest Kefaru model, but you know, the, the Spica and uh, Hunter's Element have meat shelf packs at a more reasonable price. But if your goal is a multi-purpose backpack, uh, I like a large internal, like open space. I don't like lots of zippers and little pockets and stuff. I like a good big inside. I like uh, a lid or a brain that can be removed. Um, you've got some good, I've got some good packs as well, but you get, get some packs that have that removable and then it can clip onto a waist belt or has an internal waist belt. So you have a go bag um, and make sure you can reach the pockets on the side if you're using them for water bottles or optics or whatever you know make sure you can actually reach them some of them are poorly designed and you can't actually reach those water bottle pockets uh, and i'm a big fan of large 
hip belt pockets for snacks, snacks, knives, compass. <laughs> um, so I like, I like the space inside. I don't like a lot of bells and whistles. I like a streamlined uh, pack. If it's not hunting the Osprey ether pro is my guiding pack. Um, basically no external pockets, very streamlined, but you can take off the hip belt. You can take off the side pockets. You can take off the brain and strip it down as much as you want. Um, something like that is super versatile. It just doesn't come in camo. Um, but yeah, versatility, durability in a pack, simple bells and whistles are not needed. Footwear. You got to have something that you're super comfortable in. Um, I am rocking a pair of Lem's Summit Boulder boots these days for basically everything. Super wide, neutral toe box, all full grain leather upper, waterproof membrane, like gnarly treads. But whatever you choose, you need to be able to live in them. Like it just, boots are expensive but you could honestly pay more for boots and get more out of them than you would a, a bow, you know, like just cause you're going to shoot an arrow once on a trip. That's it. Uh, or maybe a couple times a trip or once at an animal, but you're going to be in those boots and wearing that pack every day. So that's where I think more money and time and thought should be spent. Get a complete bow set up, get something affordable. If it shoots an arrow straight, you're fine. It doesn't, doesn't need anything fancy, but the pack, the footwear, the socks like that, that shit is game changing. That's, that's my fourth item socks, real good socks. Honest to God, you get a blister out on the trail. You're just going to be suffering. So are you chasing like a Merino wool sock, uh, you know, synthetic bamboo? What's your go-to definitely some sort of wool blend um wool is on its own not super durable um, but it's really good at managing bacterial growth um you don't want your feet stinking and everything smelling you across the mountains but also for your foot health uh wool is also good at moisture managing whereas synthetics are actually really good at moisture management as well uh but they just they, they stink um so usually you want to blend because synthetics are usually more durable. Wool is better for hygiene. Get a nice blend. Darn tough socks are my absolute favorite. Uh, I would only wear and buy darn tough socks if they actually sold them in Australia. <laughs> I have to get them when I go overseas <laughs> or order them. And then they're like $40 a pair. Uh, but good quality wool blend socks. And I mean, there's just so much... I. I do a, a gear chat um, with uh, a, a trekking company every fortnight. Awesome. Uh, and so like I talk about backpacking gear and, and like layering systems and, and technology a lot. And so there's a lot you can go into if you really want to nerd out on that side of stuff. Is that a podcast but, or what's, what's that on? Uh, oh, the way I do that. So I do that as a, 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 a fortnightly call for a uh, trekking training company. Okay. So I, I work with their clients directly for that one. Um, I do have some reasons. Actually, I have a bunch of resources on my YouTube channel um, about gear selection for backpacking, layering systems, backpacks, blister prevention, footwear. Um, so I've got some videos that 
are already there and I've got some that I'm releasing um, like 30 minute talks on Beautiful. each individual thing. Cause I can really nerd out on that, but socks are very close to my heart. So get, get good socks, That's get good. good boots or footwear of your choice, backpack, a fully set up shooting kit, whatever you want to do. Uh, oh, and if, if there's like an item I'd say for, for the fifth spot, it'd be something around navigation, whether it's making sure you have like a, good map like a topographical detailed map physical map or whether you use something like all trails and you have digital maps or you know offline digital navigation systems whatever it is like have a good navigation system and understanding of it and you know like i i'm not great with using a compass and map system but i'm pretty good at basically never getting lost because i know where i came from and i understand the landscape like I, I've just I've never gotten lost in hilly regions in Tasmania. It's like there's a mountain, okay, you know where you are. That's it. But you have to know the landscape. Um and so whether it's a it's a physical map. I love physical maps. I, I take them on trails all the time. Um, or if it's digital, but like have some sort of good navigation system and know how to use it. Because if you're going back country, back country's big. Yeah. You need to know how to get out. <laughs> Yeah, you said something there that relates to me. Map and compass, I've never used them. Like, it's not something, like, you know, I know which direction I came from. I know, you know, yeah. you're just, you're taking in land features and stuff like that. But I've also got mates that can't find their way, you know, they'd get lost in a shopping center because they wouldn't know yeah. where they came in. Like, <laughs> I, I, for, I forget that some people aren't good at that because I've got all these books on my bookshelf here that's like, you know, how to read a map and compass and how to navigate with the landscape and stuff. And I never make it through them because I just don't have any application. Like I've, I've got friends who do like orienteering and roganing where you're trying to navigate courses or, you know, find cash points using just a map and compass and coordinates. But it's like, I don't do that. You know, I, I wander and I go that thing over there, I'm going to walk to that. Okay. I'll walk to that. Well, that's where I came from. So that's how I get back kind of thing. You know, I don't do the orienteering type of stuff. So I don't typically, I've never really had a use for map and compass. And then if I've needed something more detailed, unfortunately I'm a modern individual. I use technology. Um, um, I can put that stuff offline. I can use GPS. I carry battery packs. Like why not? I'm the same. I run, um, on X maps. So, uh, you know, I used it for Snake Island this year. I I use it on my normal properties. You know, if I find fresh rubs or trails, I mark all them out. Property yeah. boundaries. If I find a shed, a singular shed, I'll um, map out the shed, like mark where that was, and then use the map nice. to do rings around it and do like a grid to see if I can find the other one. Um, you know, mark trail cameras. Um, in Snake Island was awesome because I was able the pre-night, of the scout that that we did i went through and you know as everyone on the island discussed where they were going hunting i kind of pinned it out for everyone so when i got back to camp the next morning before they went off i'm like this is where you want to go this is you know where it is marked it all out showed them sent them screenshots of where they need to go and it worked a charm same with uh, new zealand i found out the area that we're going marked out a few hunt like huts and then our camps and our car and just ran off of that yeah. like it was amazing yeah it works it works really well like you just 
you don't necessarily need mapping compass skills. They're useful in a lot of situations and if you choose to use them. Um, but as long as you have a system. That's it. You just need a system. You need to be familiar with it. And as long as you have that, you're going to be fine because that also then is building into your, your woodsman skills, how to just like, if I'm not spending any, like I haven't been out in the, the bush proper for, for a while. Cause I've been focusing on this archer tournament I had last month. Um, and like even just your ability to walk and navigate through the bush deteriorates. If you don't do it, that's it. You have to not just be able to navigate and walk and deal with obstacles and stuff but then i have to learn how to do that mindfully and quietly and observantly that's that's a whole other thing and so that kind of feeds off of your ability to first understand how to get around the landscape yeah 100 <clears throat> percent. uh moving on to the next question silly one that's i'm a bit of a zombie nerd as my as listeners would know nice what's your zombie apocalypse weapon Oh, what kind of zombies? Are they fast ones, slow ones? I reckon rotting? just walking, walking Dead style, you know? You don't want to go 28 <laughs> day later. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Or like, <laughs> Z-Day zombies, but, you know? Yeah. Oh, walking fast. Dead style. Uh, yeah, uh, Pig Spear. Yep. Pig Spear or like a halberd, uh, long, long handle with some sort of uh, blade or chopping thing. Uh, halberd would be cool because it's got like the axe head and then the hook for grabbing and pulling. Um, but like boar spear would be handy because the, uh, the, the, the blade used at the end has the crossbar to yeah. stop it from penetrating too deep. So you can't lose the weapon into the first zombie you stab. You have the ability to then take it out and continue. So something with a bit of reach, but more of a melee style thing. Um, I think that would work well. Alternatively, uh, I'd probably go something like like a, like a warhammer or a war club, something again melee style, a little bit more reach. Uh, doesn't necessarily have to be a blade because all we have to do is kill the brain. Um, and so stabbing through a, a skull has its disadvantages, and keeping the blade sharp is not necessarily always going to be easy. But you can just bash them in the head with a bit of leverage. That should work fine too. Perfect. Uh, great answers. And I, li- I like your thinking, and I can tell that you've thought a lot about this. <laughs> Just off the top of my head, I've never, I've never thought of it at all. It, yeah, it, it comes across that way. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, two two very interesting answers, and ones that I haven't thought of. But um, yeah, I, I like your thinking. Just just because like uh, projectiles are going to be limited. You know, like you can only make bullets for so long, yeah. uh, you know, arrows as well. Like, God, how many people know how to actually make an adequately spined arrow from scratch? Like if we're using modern bow materials, like you're not going to be able to take a piece of fucking pine or speeder, cedar and like make a a 400 <laughs> spine arrow for my 50 pound recurve or That's it. 300 spine for my 70 pound compound like you just you won't be able to shoot them anymore <laughs> that's it uh speaking of shooting top five dream <laughs> dream animals what would what would they be you know if money's not an issue anywhere in the world any game what would they be oh i mean moose i want to i want to bow hunt a moose um some sort of really big goat <laughs> 
I want to be up in some rocky shit, like going after some big mountain goat. Tar. You have Not to really. go chase tar. Tar. I mean, that just, they, they look so cool. Um, that would be awesome. But there's some like big Middle Eastern or like Central Asian goats too. I've seen some people take up in the mountains. Oh, I don't know what kind of that, but, but they're just cool. Yeah. And, you know, goats delicious. So it'd be that goat. Uh, I want to, I want to hunt a camel. I want to. I want to bow hunt a camel. I hate the heat. Have you I eaten? I think the camel? desert is a nope. Oh, it's amazing. It's so good. See, I just the thing is like I think Donnie Vincent said it best. Is like there's just there's no such thing as bad animal. You're just a bad cook. Like yeah. some of those guys going after carnivore species like like cougar, and they're like oh delicious. And other people are like worst thing I've ever eaten. My firearms instructor, the guy who was doing the safety course here in Tassie, uh. I was asked about Cape Barren goose because there's now an open season on, on the geese because the, the population's back. Uh, and he basically said it's it might as well just eat a rock. But I'm like, it doesn't make any sense. I'm sure they're delicious. You just got to cook them good. Um, so what do we got? I've got moose, goat, camel. <clears throat> um, I actually really want to hunt bear. I've got some friends who, who bow hunt black bear. Um, I would like to do that. Uh, they're supposed to be delicious um, and very populous up in many parts of the world. Um, great terrain and an area to hunt and also terrifying because it is a bear. And if you make a mistake, actually, I mean, moose would just pulverize you as well. But, you know, bears, the terrain, you have to be pretty close. There's there's some there's some risk there and then delicious and then if you do well you can get a bear skin rug out of it. That's it. <clears throat> yeah, oh, bears an absolute dream of mine. Um, there's I've mentioned it a thousand times on the podcast, but Clay Newcomb's got a episode like a YouTube video where he's up chasing him and the bear comes in and sniffs the end of his arrow before he shoots it. He's in a makeshift ground blind shooting over oh. a, a baited barrel and yeah the bear comes up and he's yeah from <laughs> from me to the my computer screen away and the bear just sniffs the end of his arrow and as the bear's walking off he he sinks an arrow into it with his trad gear and it's such a wicked video if you haven't seen it definitely watch it i have to check that out i've had some some close encounters with bears on trails up in in canada uh it's just a different thing with hunting because in that range like a lot of times they don't perceive you as a threat but if you injure them and and don't take a good shot and don't have good placement and you're that close to a bear like an injured bear is not that's not your friend that's that's an insane video yeah it's yeah one of my favorite i've watched it on repeat and my three and a half year old ollie he sits down and watches it with me and he's probably watched it 50 times Yeah, that's wild. How many animals did I get? That was four? Yeah, I believe that was four. Okay. Do I have to do five? Yeah, yeah, go. Come on. Okay. <laughs> God, I'm just, I'm thinking, thinking bow hunting. You know, there's like animals I just want to, to take anyway because, you know, goat, pig, that kind of thing, deer. Um, but like, if I was to go off or anything crazy, I just, I don't really have any attraction to, to Africa. Yeah. I know that's such one as well as what those big places. I'm like, yeah, I'd go there if the opportunity presented, but I just don't like, Oh, I want to go to Africa and hunt crazy African animals. Um, you know, 
like a big Florida Gator would be cool. Yeah. That would be just uh, also <clears throat> terrifying, like going through the swamps trying to find a gator. Again, also supposed to be delicious. I got some friends down in Florida, and they're, they're like, "Oh yeah, gator's good." Have you spoken but the idea of hunting one? Yeah. Have you spoken to Caleb's partner, Kai? She's um yeah. taken taken a gator with a with trad gear. Has she in Florida, I believe? And yeah, it's it's so cool. <laughs> That's a dinosaur, man. Those yeah. things are just monsters. Oh, I wish Crocs were open up here. <laughs> I'd I'd bow hunt a Croc if it was legal. Okay, salty. Oh, for sure. Would, <laughs> oh, I, God, could you imagine? Oh, why can't why can't we hunt them? How many are there? Are there heaps? The the numbers are more than they can handle at the moment, I believe. But depends. Oh on man, as soon as they start trying to call them, we need to be getting on a <laughs> a petition for that. Yeah, it'd be actually that's that's actually kind of like the the bow fishing thing. I just don't understand why you can't bow fish in so many places in Australia. Like the ability to do that alone is phenomenal. Like you're not gonna just take all the fish. Um, I just that's another thing I think should really be opened up here. Besides just for carp, I know you could do it in New South Wales for carp. South Australia, um, but, we can bow fish for carp. That's one of my my main summer activities. Is cool bow fishing for carp. What about Tassie? Uh, is it same as spear fishing rules or just non-existent at all? No, it's non-existent. It's so, non-existent. Spear fishing is pretty cool. See, I used to do a lot of spear fishing up in Victoria too. Um, I've done none of that here, uh, but like saltwater fishing here is awesome because you can just do it. it is. It's <laughs> you don't need a you don't need a permit. You don't need a license. You just it's just go for go fishing. Yeah, yeah. It's the same here in South Australia. No fishing permit unless you're fishing stocked reservoirs, which is great for getting yeah. people in. But yeah, it's it's also got no money going back into the fishery either. Where Victoria has a fair mm. bit of money going back into the fishery and boat boat yeah. ramp maintenance and artificial reefs and stocking. Hey, you need that. Yeah, 100%. 100% you do. Saltwater, yeah, saltwater is pretty open here, but freshwater, because like we're one of the big trout capitals, um, that I think brings in a lot more and it is much more regulated. I haven't bothered with freshwater because I can't... I Actually, I, just, I don't have any fishing gear anymore, um, but I just keep thinking like having to look up each waterway before I know what I can take and where I'm just like, uh, I'll just sounds complicated. <laughs> I'll, eat, I'll eat rabbit. Speaking of eating rabbit, what is your favorite thing to cook? I know you covered a bunch of different recipes before, but what would be your favorite thing to cook with? Potted rabbit. Potted rabbit. Yeah. Yeah. Potted rabbit is just awesome. It's, it's pork belly and slow cooked rabbit. Uh, juniper berry thyme like just a bunch of salt and herbs and mustard and then you just make like a terrine out of it throw it on some toast it's one of my favorite breakfasts i just make i have a bunch of my freezer right now i just took my last three rabbits out of the freezer and turned them into potted rabbit and it's just yeah beautiful delicious and wholesome fun for the whole family makes good gift I'm going to have to look into next time I get some rabbits if I can find some. <laughs> so jumping back on public perception, how do you see the public views on hunting? Especially, you know, you've said bow hunting is frowned upon in Tassie. Mm. How do you just see common hunting down there? How- I, I don't think it's understood. I think 
um, like I said, it's, I, I remember driving, uh, just, I think we we're going hiking, a friend and I, and he said something about light bars on cars, you know, those, those light bars on the front. And he's like, Oh, light bars just make me, I, I don't like them. Like that's why I, I, I think I said, uh, yeah, you should get a light bar in your car. Cause we we're going out like before dawn, some back, back country hike. Um, and I'm like, hey, you should get those light bars. And he's like, ah, they just make me think of, of hunters. I'm like, what does that mean? He's like, yeah, you know, they, they go out and shine their lights on all the wallabies or whatever and shoot them all. And I'm like, that's what people think of hunting here. <laughs> like, that's, it's just, that's what they do. That's, that's the only perception they have. And then I'm like, no, hunting's way cooler. Like, that's, that's a perfectly acceptable way to, protect crops and produce meat like it's it's efficient it's effective it's pretty hard to take a bad shot like that's fine but like when i think hunting it's it's backcountry stuff it's you know being out on the land or you know tracking animals and, and working on your your woodsman skills and like all that's part of it the whole best part of the experience but most people they don't have any idea that that exists uh, and it weirds me out. And there's just so many similar. I mean, you get a lot of similar perceptions just around firearms in general. Uh, I was telling my, my barber, I was like, yeah, because he was, he's a friend of mine. And I was like, oh, I'm getting my, finally get my firearms sword. He's like, oh, is it because you're American? I'm like, it's, I wanna, <laughs> it's because I want to fill my freezer with deer meat. And it's the only way I'm allowed to do it. And he's like, what do you say? Something like, oh hunting you know i'm not I'm not into hunting and then i had to have this same talk and i'm like this is what hunting is to me and he's like oh well that doesn't sound so bad i'm like yeah and he's like yeah but next thing you know you're gonna want to be storing your firearms in the house i'm like where are, where else are you supposed to store them he's like in your shed and i'm like do you want me to get robbed like what is like bad perception after bad perception I was like, this is this is normal. Like what I envision hunting and how I understand firearms and procuring food and having food security for you and your family. Like that's such a big important thing to me. And so many people just have no concept of that or how it actually works. You know, it still astounds me that there are people, mostly on the internet, that don't understand where food comes from. And this is a um uh a big platform for the shooter fishers farmers political party. Um, if I've chatted with them a lot over the last couple of years about hunting and bow hunting and things like that. And one thing they push for is um, like where your food comes from education programs and schools, taking kids to farms, showing them how food is actually produced because it's shocking to me that people have no understanding about first of all, where it comes from now, how food is produced and then where we came from as a species and how we are where we are today is because we had to find our own food and the people who connect with that part of our primal existence tend to be a little better adapted to life. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I would love to see like <clears throat> depression rates for people that go hunting and fishing versus depression rates in people that just don't leave the city and like, it yeah, be, be a cool study to see. Oh, there'd be so many layers to that because there'd be the lifestyle factor there'd be the nutrition factor. There'd be, 
exposure to to sunlight and and nature i mean something i talked about on, on my pack podcast a little while back too was you know the just exposure to nature and nature simulated environments and the benefit and health effects of that is just wild like you could literally look at pictures of trees and listen to nature sounds and be healthier than if you didn't yeah well, it's just <clears throat> the connect that you have while you, when you're out there but how would you change the public views on hunting and hunters? What would you, if you could do something, what would you do personally to? I would make every kid watch all of Donnie Vincent's movies. Yep. That's a, that would just, that would do start. it. Like if you ever want to show someone like what the spirit of hunting is, Donnie Vincent's stuff. He just, he tells stories like no one else. And then just the experience of joining him in Alaska and wherever else, like backcountry, understanding land, connecting with the the animals, the the preparation, the mindset, the experience, the the food that you create from the experience, the way it affects the ecosystem. Like that's everybody needs to experience that. Watch those movies when you're young and in your formative years, so you sort of really understand it. Do you feel meat eaters? Are- <clears throat> A good version of that as well. It's more accessible yeah, than eater. Donnie Vincent. Yeah, I mean, Mediator, Mediator, uh, uh, Steve Ranella, all this stuff is awesome. Actually, one of my favorite books ever is uh, American Buffalo by Stephen Ranella. If you haven't read that, go out and read that. Um, I like everything Mediator does, but I think it speaks more to people who are already on that path. Um, Donnie Vincent's more poetic. Yeah. It's 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 a much more about the visual experience. Um, Remediator is much more practical. I think it already speaks to hunters. I think even just the title, Meat Eater, <laughs> is already saying, yeah. "Vegans go fuck yourself," um, which is fine by me. But <laughs> if we want to try and change minds, uh, I, I think the the storytelling and the understanding of the the natural picture and the ecosystem around it is incredibly valuable for helping people understand the full picture um, because it's more than just food in that case. 100%. But Mediator is a phenomenal project and all of its offshoots are. And all the the podcasts, the hunting podcasts from all the guys who kind of came out of that yeah. have been an amazing resource for me. Yeah, 100%. I can, I can see why that, that would help people getting into hunting for sure. At, at the end of it, what is hunting to you? To me, hunting falls under the category of personal sovereignty, having control and having a say in how you live and having a hand in your ability to actually survive. You are not relying on anyone else. It's your skills and your ability to produce the most nutritious food you can eat for you your family and your community it falls under the 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 category of food security for me as well if you don't have the ability whether the legal ability or the personal ability to produce the basics of living what are you doing you you have no security in your life you are going to have to rely on someone else to take care of you at the end of the day. And this is a bit of maybe the zombie mindset or the prepper mindset or whatever it is. But 
we can't rely on the systems forever. Like there, there will come a time where maybe it's not our generation, but there will come a time when those systems fail, maybe not across all of society, but in sections. And you have to be able to support your people. And only if you understand and embody those skills, can you pass them on to when they're going to be used as well. So it's all that, that food security and, and personal sovereignty being the master of your own life. That's great answer. It's uh, it's certainly a little bit different to the usual answer. You know, normally it's um, uh, like you know people going, you know, being out in nature and the food and that. But the way you've put it is a brilliant way of way of putting it. And it's uh, yeah, give me give me ways to you know put like put it out there myself in in a different way to that that usual way. So. No, really appreciate you coming on, man. It's 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 been a blast, no and um, I know it's been in the in the make for a while now to to have this podcast sorted. But um, you know, it's just one of those things we all get busy, and I'm glad you're free yep. to, tonight to be able to do it. Um, give us a rundown on your business and if where people can find it. Um, what type of thing do you do? And yeah, uh, so I. I founded a business called Strong for Life Online Coaching. I mean, the the name is is what we do. We we help people get strong for life. And I mean, I work with folks in the military and and mountain climbers and stay at home moms and backpackers and combat athletes. Everything in between. It's just about you know figuring out what being strong for life means for you and getting you there. Um, and it's it's run by myself and a couple other coaches that I have. We have different backgrounds and expertise and just make sure that wherever you want to get to in life, that's where we're going to get you. Um, and if you want to find me and what I do, Instagram's easiest at coach Josh Wood. Um, you can also find uh, the strong for life page, strong for life online coaching, or just Google me. I, I show up on most platforms. Uh, if you want some resources, my YouTube page, YouTube slash Coach Josh Wood has a bunch of backpacking resources. So if you want to dig into footwear selection and blister prevention and choosing a backpack, there's a bunch of stuff there. Yeah, beautiful. I'll uh, chuck all those those links that I can in the show notes so people can find that. And um, hopefully you get a few messages about it and people, because it's something that everyone wants to everyone wants to get a bit more hunt fit so <laughs> yeah it makes life easier a hundred percent a hundred percent but yeah again a thank you thank you for coming on and joining us for two hours and it's been a great conversation and yeah, time flies oh it, it does that's it, it's crazy when you when your podcast and it just straight out the window <laughs> yeah nah, but, awesome. nah easy man thank you very much and uh yeah it's been great have a good one Thank you for joining us on another episode of Hunting Connection Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed our discussions and gained valuable insights into the world of hunting, fishing and the outdoors. To stay connected with us and never miss out on an update, please be sure to follow us on social media, all at Hunting Connection Podcast. We appreciate your support and would love for you to share the podcast with your friends and family. Don't forget to tag us in your hunting photos on social media and let us know about your experiences. Your feedback is invaluable to us, so please take a moment to subscribe, rate and review the podcast. 
together we continue growing and delivering more captivating episodes for all hunting enthusiasts. Stay connected, stay informed, and keep pursuing your passion for the hunt. Until next time, happy hunting.